Father, I thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy, and I am thankful that you're here. Um, man, Lord, I just pray you'd show yourself to your people and to the people in this room that aren't yours, uh, that are here for whatever reason. Lord, that's the thing is that even if we think we know why we're here, you, you know why we're really here. You know the, the purpose. The people in this room that don't believe that showed up because someone invited them, God, or who's watching online in this very moment, that I, sh- I pray you just show them that you set this divine appointment up for a purpose and that they would get out of it, what they would get out of it. And, uh, Father, I pray that uh, I wouldn't, as a messenger, get in the way of the message. And uh, I do thank you so, so much. Lord, help me to preach your word and to preach it well and uh, to not get in the way, and I'll give you all the glory. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. How you guys doing today? <laughs> that must mean good. Uh, well, welcome to the Remnant. <clears throat> if it's been a while or you're new here, my name's Todd, I'm the pastor here, uh, or one of them, I guess. And we are in the last, this is the last week, guys, for this series, Courage, Dear Heart. And uh, the line comes from the Lion, the Witch, and the, not the Lion, the Witch, word, but that's silly, I lied to you, from book, uh, one of the books in the Chronicles of Narnia. The Voyage of Don Treader, in which God shows up to Lucy, this little girl, in the midst of a scary moment, and kind of just reminds her that he's there um, by saying, hey, have courage, right? I'm here. And um, that's it. And today, we're going to talk about, I don't know, I guess, what that really means. Um, excuse me, I'll take my gum out. To have real courage and This is one of those messages or things that I think the temptation will be, and I know I say this a lot, is to, to say it's the other person. That's, that's a lot of the issues in here because we as a hum, human beings, we tend to be the good people to ourselves, right? Isn't that funny? We know our own motivations. You know you're a good person even if you do that bad thing because you know your motivations. You know why you do it. Right? You know what happened to you to justify it, and then it's all the other people that need to hear the messages. Right? You're here for the good stuff. What's the good stuff? That makes you feel good, and that's good, and there's going to be some of that. But let's ask ourselves some tough questions. Really cool verse that inspires me, and I'm curious if it'll inspire you. Proverbs 28.1. Anyone know it right off the top of their head? Like a couple people? No? You started to raise your hand, Zeke, and then do you have it? No? Okay, put it up. <laughs> Zeke and I, man, we're going to get this down, Zeke. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Sounds pretty good, right? You like that, Fred? Righteous, you're a pretty bold guy. Bold as a lion. I want to be bold as a lion. You want to be bold as a lion? Now, everyone says they want to be bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no one's pursuing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Why is that? You know, why would the wicked flee? There's a lot of reasons here I could go into, and it's not the huge point, but the wicked tend to, to think that they're in control, but deep down they know they're not. So when things happen in life, they fall apart. But the righteous, they can be bold as a lion because they know who's in control. <clears throat> now, it's interesting because God makes these parallels throughout the Bible, and this, so we're, we're called to sort of be lions here, right? Yes? Yeah, thank you. I'll throw a podium. I know you want me to. You don't get to say anything about <laughs> But we're also compared to lambs. So this weird comparison here of lions and lambs. And we're called to be both. You want to be a lion. So there's a story in the Old Testament about uh, a guy named Elijah. You ever heard of him? He's a prophet. And a guy named Ahab. You ever heard of Ahab? He's not a pirate. Um, Sounds like a pirate though, right? Because of, uh, oh, I know why. Moby Dick. Isn't the guy named Ahab? Just put that together. Anyway, Ahab, I want you to keep in mind, we're going to dive right into this. So you're called to be a lion. That sounds really good. Sounds really, really good. Okay. In 1 Kings 16, 29 through 33, we kind of see what happens here at the beginning. So 1 Kings 16, 29 through 33, let's set the situation up. If I butcher this, forgive me, I don't speak Hebrew. Ahab, son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Judah's king Asa. Ahab, son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. But Ahab, listen to this, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight more than all who were before him. 
Then, as if following the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, was not enough, he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. Think the Sidonians worshipped God, the true God? No. And then proceeded to serve Baal and bow in worship to him. So not only did he do what God told him not to do and marry an outsider, someone who didn't believe, which is a sin, but also followed her in worshiping these other gods, these false gods. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he had built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole. That's another god, goddess. Ahab did more to, listen to this, Ahab did more to anger the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Woo. So what ends up happening here is, uh, I'm not going to, we're going to read the whole thing, so I'm going to give you kind of the paraphrase and then we'll dive back in. So when all of this happened, <clears throat> Elijah is a prophet and he comes to Ahab and he says, listen, it will not rain again in this land until God wills it, the true God. So if, what happens during a drought, well, I'll tell you, famine also happens. You can't grow crops. Animals are dying. So there's no rain. There's no food. There's no water. <clears throat> and there's a lot of things that happen in here. Some of God's prophets are killed. They're chased. And Elijah does this really cool thing, and you need to go read it. I know you'd love, I would love to tell it to you, but honestly, I don't have time. But I'm going to give you the gist of it. So he shows up to all of these priests now, these priests that serve Baal, you think these were all Sidonians? Outsiders? I need you to think here. They were Israelites who were priests of this other God. Okay? People, it's one thing to say, I wouldn't have done that. Well, what if all your neighbors did? So, Elijah is an interesting guy. On the one hand, he's kind of a dog, right? He's a lion. And then the other hand, you'll see here. So he shows up. He's kind of a chicken. So he shows up to all of these people, and he's, he's feeling pretty good for himself because God's called him to go there, and he challenges these prophets. And he says, let's see who God's, who's God's more powerful. Let's go up on this mountain, and we'll see which one of our gods will start a fire. So you go ahead, and you get your little area ready as much. So they probably put hay, right? And they're probably blowing it, drying it out, getting it ready. Call down. Nothing happens. And Elijah does this, I'm telling you, this gangster thing where he essentially is like, hey, maybe you need to speak a little louder. Maybe they're busy, right? Maybe your God just can't hear you. Maybe they've forgotten. So nothing happens. And then, if that's not enough, he goes and says, okay, now this is my spot. I want you to pour water on this. What? I want you to pour so much water on it that there's little rivers coming off of it. And then what does he do? He prays to the one true God and fire just pours down. This miracle happens. So the people then all of a sudden go, oh, hey, that's a real God. And then he goes, yeah, kill all the false prophets. And the people are like, yeah, we'll do that. So they kill some of these Baal priests, right? The same people who were worshiping them, like, well, now there's an actual different God showing power here. So let's just kill the bad guys. Well, then Ahab runs to his wife. Different topic. Runs to his wife, right? And that's not an insult to women, but men, this is important. And he says, Hey, honey, because he's a chicken, right, this guy? And he goes, hey, honey, oh, my goodness, you won't believe what happened. All of your priests were killed. She probably brought some from her homeland. So then she sends a message to Elijah that essentially says, I promise you now, like pretty much I vow that tomorrow I'm going to make you just like the people you killed. I'm going to kill you like they killed them. We're going to pick up there. 1 Kings 19.3, starting at verse 3. Then Elijah became afraid. Stop. He just called fire down from heaven. He just called fire from heaven, okay? And now this woman's like, I'm going to get you. And he's like, oh, my goodness. So he became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. Listen to this. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. Why would he do that? Do you think it's easy for him to do these things? I'm serious. You guys live, we live in a world where these people are floating with halos on their head, and it's just magically easy. No, it isn't. Even when he went and called this miracle, you think it's easy to have to stand against your family, to stand against your friends, to be an outcast, to be hated, for your life to be uh, threatened? You think that's easy for even him? Oh, he saw miracles, Todd, so, do you, so have you. So he's tired 
of the fight. And he lays down that he might, might die. He said, I've had enough. Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my ancestors. And he lay down, and partially he's ashamed, right? And he ran. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Drop down to verse 9. Some stuff happens. He entered a cave there and spent the night. Suddenly, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, guys, focus on this. I'm going to come back to this. Listen to this phrase. I promise you, if you listen and pay attention to this, at the end, this, you're going to see something pretty beautiful. Suddenly, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Why are you hiding? Boy, what does that echo? What do we do when we're afraid? Adam and Eve, what were they doing? Hiding. He knew. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, <laughs> but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. Those are his people. Hey, you're Israelites. I'm not like them. Right? But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're looking for me to take my life. Now, we'll come back to this, but the important thing is, and stay with me, God says, he drops it, if you drop down to verse 18, after all this, God says something. He says, but I will leave, he makes a promise, and he says, but I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that is not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Even in the midst of the entire country turning against him, right, and we're like seven, who knows how many people there, a lot more than 7,000, but he said, the people that are faithful to me, the people that haven't turned from me, I haven't forgotten them. I haven't forgotten them. I will keep them, and I will save them, and I will protect them, these people who have not turned to the worship of false gods. Now, if you're not familiar with our church, this section connects very directly with the verse that is sort of our calling. All right, In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul talks about, he's talking to the Israelite Christians, right? There's both Gentiles, that means people that did not come from a Jewish background that have turned to the faith, and there are Jewish people who have turned to faith, right? Grace, not through my own actions. I can't earn my, my holiness anymore. And it's a very interesting thing because Paul makes this, alludes to this story when he's talking to them. He's saying, listen, I know a lot of the Israelite people, you think that God's forgotten his covenant, right, with the Israelite people from the beginning. He's forgotten. He hasn't. There are still people within the, the Jewish culture community that have not turned, right, to the worship of false gods that have not. And you're going, well, Todd, they don't worship Baal anymore. Listen to this. This is our verse, I guess, right, the heart behind what we do. Romans 11, 5 and 6. He then ends with this. In the same way, the same way as what? This little remnant, this 7,000, connecting to that story, a small minority in a large group. In the same way, then, there is also, at the present time, a remnant chosen by grace. Now, if by grace, then it is not by works. Otherwise, grace ceases to be grace. This, this verse is so powerful. It's the crux of the gospel. So yes, there are people that come from that, but they aren't all still relying on the Old Testament, on their religion. There are some that understand, even now, amongst those people, that it is God himself who saves us, not their actions towards him, but his actions towards us. Why do you have to say that? Now, we know it's the same thing. Do you think, what happened to Jewish Christians? They were ostracized. Hated, cast out. You think, you, we don't think that way. So, Jesus says this crazy verse that's not even going to be up, but I want you to know, he said, he says, you think I've come to bring peace. I came to bring the sword. I will turn mother against daughter, father against son, and husband against wife. Wake up. See, that sounds good. And you're all like, yeah, I'm with that until it's your wife until it's your husband, until it's your child, your friend, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whoever else it is that's saying, ah, I don't know if God really meant that. Every time you, and I'm not doing the thing today where I say me first, okay? You dilute God's truth to make yourself feel comfortable. You're siding with the other side. Does that mean God's forgotten you? No, because you're lucky that it's not based on you. But see, some of you have taken that truth and twisted it. You know, there's a lie that's been around since 
the church first came around, and it happens in Romans, right? And there's this grace, and we're like, yes. And then Paul makes this interesting thing. He says, okay, so we're saved by grace, right? And you can't out-sin grace, and where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. So should we just sin all we want because it's covered? No, because no one that's really with God will do that. They can't live like that, right? A fish out of water might flop around for a while, but it's not healthy, and it'll eventually die. We're called to be lions, and that sounds so good when you're in church right now. Yeah, we're lions, and yet many of you in this room will walk out of here, and when it comes back to standing in front of your friends and and your boyfriend, your girlfriend, maybe your husband, your wife, it doesn't matter, your video game crew, whatever else, everybody laughs, but a bunch of you all, most of your friends are online, and you just laugh right along with their jokes, and you say, I'm just being a light. In a dark place? No, you're not. You're being a light with a lampshade on. You'd rather fit in, right, than stand out because standing out means you're going to be different. And what if they don't want you anymore? I'm going to say something. I'm going to explain it at the end, but this is important. There's a big confusion. We're called to be lions and lambs. Lions to the world and lambs to the Father. The problem is many of us in this room today Flip it. You are lambs to the world and lions to God. You rebel against the Father like you're some sort of lion and cowardly lay down in front of the world. And unfortunately, see, the world slaughters lambs. It's an illusion. Come here. I'm going to take care of you. Come my way. I'll protect you. I'll love you. Get in bed with me. It'll be okay. We're called to be lions to the world and lambs to God. And the lambs to God comes with it. In being a lamb to God comes the very thing that will allow you to be a lion to the world. Todd, what in the world do you mean? That's the point. I'm going to rapid fire you some verses because you need to understand some reality. Some reality of what it is to follow Jesus. And the kids in the front row, um, you might as well hear it now. And the old people in the back, right? Vice versa, I know where you're at, right? Old people, you're beautiful, right? (laughs) Right? Old is subjective, okay? Right? I'm telling you right now, the Daisy Jericho, you're a decrepit old man, okay? (laughs) My point is, everybody needs to hear this and remember. Because... Part of what softened the gospel in America and why it's powerless is because we've created one that's more palatable. I'm going to use big words today because I think you guys are smart. Palatable means it's easy to swallow. I can taste it. It's okay. Right? And all of us in this room go, not me. Yes, you do. That's what woke Christianity is. That's what liberal Christianity is. It takes away the sting of truth and replaces it with this false, gross sugar that just honeys the poison. Makes it sweet. Goes down a little easier. Listen to these words. This is our Lord, the one you say you worship. Right? The good, good Father. Right? The Lamb, right? The Lamb of God. Matthew 10, verse 37, 38. I'm going to read 37, but 38 is what you focus on. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. <laughs> but Todd, I thought family is the most important thing in the world. And that I honor God when I do whatever pleases my family all the time. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. But where's the Jesus who says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest? The rest comes at a price. Because to get to the rest, you have to die to yourself. The cross is a symbol of death. Jesus knew what it meant to them. We are kind of like, oh, okay, it's the floating guy that's like smiling on the cross. The cross is a nice thing. No, it is a symbol of a shameful, humiliating death. 
He who's not willing to carry his cross. Why would he tie that to the family? How hard is it if your wife, men, is saying you're trying to lead the family that God told you to and you're mocked and your masculinity is mocked and you're, she doesn't smile at you every day and she doesn't make you feel good every day. Well, I guess I'll just stop. That's not taking up your cross. I'm not going to follow my husband because he's an idiot. You would never say that, right? It was a, but the fact is, that's the reality. He doesn't have anything worth listening to. I'll follow you, Jesus, but if following you means following my idiotic husband, well, clearly you've gotten it wrong. Listen, this is not an option. This isn't cute. This is in the midst of all the healings and the, and the, hey, the kingdom of God is near and all of these beautiful things comes these kind of words. What does it mean, Todd? I can't love my father and mother. No, it doesn't. Or your daughter. I love my daughter. Everyone knows that. I love my family. But if, if she were to come to me someday and say, Dad, I will never be around you again unless you reject Christ. That sounds crazy. Does it? Will it in 10 years? The moment I say, well, I'll bend a little bit, it's okay. One, I don't love her. And two, that's what it means. Will you follow if everyone around you says not to? What if they mock you? See, some of you can't even handle mockery. What's going to happen when they come with the sword? Mark 8.34 Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, here we go again, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. People are like, why does that sound different? Because he said it more than once. Calling the crowd. <laughs> why does he differentiate between the crowd and the disciples? That's, ooh, I could stop right there. But I thought they're all following him right now. Yeah, everybody follows when you're handing out bread, Right? When you're giving out fish out of, you know, two fish, what, that, that's a fun time. Just like the Israelites were cool with killing the false prophets when they see fire come from heaven. So that means that there's other people following with the disciples? You mean there might be people in church who say they're Christians but aren't disciples? There can't be people in here, though, right? This is the remnant. Calling, along the crowd, calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me. He was looking at them. He's not just going, if anyone, wants, if anyone wants to follow me, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. Deny yourself. What does it mean? Well, let me tell you something. You're not going to want to follow him. This obsession with emotion today in the church and in the world is weird. I don't do that. Yes, you do. That's why people come up to me and go, Todd, why are you so angry? I'm sorry I make you uncomfortable with the truth. I'd make a lot more money telling you a bunch of honey lies. <gasps> That's reality. Waited until after the second song. That's good. Got him. <laughs> Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That sounds cute, huh, Jill? That sounds cute. What if it's, but I'll follow you most of the way. But my girlfriend, but, but, the moment the buts come or the moment you drop the cross? What's your but? I don't give to the church because, you know, those people just don't, they, they don't put it in the right area. That must be in the gospel of you. Right? That's how some, dude, I, I don't care. It's one of those days. Some of you all in the room, that's you. I don't give to that church because that ties all after my money. Yeah, dude, I drive a Ford Fusion. Okay, I love my car, but I'm not driving a Range Rover. And again, I'll say this for the new people in the crowd. This is not good what I'm about to say. 
But if that were the case and you were coming in, I would say take your money, wrap it up in a neat little bow, and place it somewhere where there isn't a lot of sun. Okay? Because that's how I'd be in my own flesh. I'm serious. That's not a good thing, right? That's not a good thing. That's my fleshly pride. But that's the truth. If anyone wants to fall after me, let him deny it. So let's keep going. Let's see what else, right? That can't, there can't be much more of that. There can't be. Luke 9, 23 through 26. Remember, you're called to be a lion, right? You want to be a lion. What about when you're sad? What about when you're angry? What about when you're hopeless or depressed? I can spill on people then because God's okay with me hurting others when I'm hurting. Is that denying yourself? Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Goodness gracious, that's the third gospel we're getting this. Deny himself. (laughs) Andy, I almost said Gina's name. Just because I have never said her name. And then I just did it. <laughs> anyway, if anyone, this doesn't mean I was aiming at her, but you know me. I just say people's names. So see, Gina, you've arrived. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. That means every single day there's going to be a moment you have to do it. But your family's the most important thing, right? Some of you all, man, you don't get it. You think you're loving your family by worshiping them. And all you're doing is blinding them to the only person who can save them. Because you'd rather sing kumbaya than worship the Lord. Right? Ah, la, la, let's have family time. All the way to hell. What? I'm not allowed? Hey, it's one of those days. I've been encouraging. Like, listen, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And I'm not saying I'm going to ever see some of you again. That's okay, because you're here right now. So that's it. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. This is so important. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. But I'm lonely. God, you haven't sent a good woman to me. So... I'll just bend the rules a little bit. I mean, they're a good person, Father. They don't, they're not a Christian. They tell me straight to my face they're not, but it's okay because you're not sending someone to me, so i got to take it in my own hands. You'll forgive me later. You see, that's the, that's the weird part about grace. You absolutely have grace, but the moment you begin, right, the people in, that say it's my get-out-of-sin-free card are the very people who may never have truly received it. And if that makes some of you nervous, it probably should. That's my biggest fear, man. I understand why pastors and churches over the years would rather err on the side of making you scared than preaching to you the fact that I can't save you. You're going to mess up, that you're free. But the truth is, no matter how many people you fool and no matter how good you feel in the moment, your fruit will determine whose you are. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. That's what he's saying. It's not just life. It might be. It might be, are you willing to betray Christ, betray people to save your physical life? Okay. What about your reputation? What about upsetting the people close to you? The moment that you're willing to do anything for that, even if it means turning my back on God, It's the moment you don't get it, you've already lost it. Because you can't save your life and you can't save anything that you're grasping onto. It's sand. That's why Jesus says, right, you have to build your life on the rock. Because it doesn't matter how big and beautiful your fancy sandcastle is, when the waves come, and they will, it'll crash down, which is why back to the wicked will flee. Because you know it. That's why you're stressed and anxious all the time. Because, well, if I'm not good enough, they're going to leave me. Right? And that's a real fear. I get that. And I know I'm kind of being sarcastic, but I understand the pressure. But you've got to be aware of what you're really doing in those moments. 25, for what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? Mothers and fathers, the world has lied to you. 
and they've told you that your, your child's comfort is the most important thing that you can give to them. The moment that they take their last breath, they will find out, and they will say, Mom, why, Dad, why didn't you tell me the truth? Why did you rather I was happy and came to Sunday dinner than tell me the truth? Because no amount of wishing or they're good people is going to save it. You love your child. Do you really love your child? Then set the culture. Because you see, let me give you an example. Say you set the culture and say, no, I'm not going to allow you to live that way, right? I'm not going to allow you to, to mock God in my home, even if that means you can't come over right now, right? See, people justify, well, Todd, I'm not loving them then. No, 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 no. You're loving them in that moment because what they're going to do is they're going to start going, man, mom, dad always wants me around, always loves me, has willing to do anything for me. Why would they take their stand on this? They know it's costing them relationship with me. Why? That's the testimony. No, I'm not saying if you've got a child that's not a believer, they can't come to dinner. But my point is there may come a time when that might have to happen. Are you prepared to do that? Do you love them that much? For whoever is, it's right after saying that, he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and that of the Father and the holy angels. Does that mean the first time you've ever done, this is deep, 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 and I don't have a ton of time, but you have to understand this because immediately if you stop listening now, you're scared to death because you're like, oh boy, I've done that before. I've been ashamed. It's deeper than that. It's deeper than a one-time thing. See, a person who rejects God for people, for the world, they are ashamed of him. Overall, that's why some of you all only come to church when you want to. When you're with the boys, it's not cute anymore. Listen to me. Everybody's there when he's handing out bread. Are you going to be there when he's at the cross? And if you can't even go to church, and I don't care if it's here, okay? So I'm not trying to get go to Uncle Bob's Church of God. I don't care as long as they preach the gospel. But don't lie to yourself about who you are and what you're doing. Well, I don't hate Jesus. A lot of people didn't hate him. The rich young ruler didn't hate him. But when it came to the cost, we found out whether or not he truly believed. Ashamed of him. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to stand. I don't want to do these things. Because it's going to what? Have a cost. Luke 14, 33. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciples. <laughs> well, I don't care about money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I first started this church, this is a true story. I uh, tell this all the time. You know what I thought, guys? I thought all Christians. Let me tell you what I thought about you. Because I, I actually believe that you are what God says you're saints. I never talked about money or even told people. What I did was I, I set a little... A little clear box. You guys remember? Raise your hand if you remember the little clear box. And I'm not exaggerating, okay? Got to get my finger on my pocket. It's about this big. And I had a remnant. It's like, hey, you know what, guys? The box is by the door. And I thought, moved by the Spirit, you would all give just freely all the time with no, with no reminders because we will renounce everything. That was silly. Because it's hard enough now, I can't tell you how many times, like, one of the things that separate us, I don't care about your money, but I care about the heart that prevents you from giving. A lot of churches don't want to do that. My family, I was raised with the whole, and I struggled with this for a long time, talking about money, because I was raised with the whole, like, mm, churches just want your money thing, right? That, and don't even say that, ain't you? Some of you members, he just wants my money, that's why he comes and talks to me. Man, if you were given 50 cents and that's all you could give... That's the heart behind it. God wants my children to starve. Todd does. Not God, right? Because you'll still like him. I didn't make this up. Even in that moment, so when we say renounce all your possessions, man, you can't renounce a dollar. If I don't punch somebody in your face, you ain't listening. You can't renounce $10. But hey, Taco Bell's got a two for 10 deal. I think I've been nice for a long time. And I say this stuff out of love. 
Bet you I'll lose people. Ain't nobody coming again. I, David, I can't say what I should want to say right now. You know I'm going to. <laughs> if it makes you mad and you don't want to be here, this was never the church for you. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There it is again. To follow him means you have to walk away from some of the things that you want. Sometimes it's in the short term because you're not ready. And sometimes it's in the long term, and sometimes it's not even bad stuff. When I was, uh, you know, part of my testimony, I let this girl become my world, you know, when I was 20. For a long time, it crushed me. And there's a lot of other reasons my family kind of fell apart. I had made her my entire world. Dating girls, wanting a relationship is not wrong. You know, you're wired for relationship. But I had a guy tell me, the only guy that's ever kind of mentored me my entire life, right, a 23-year-old when I was 20. He told me, he said, Todd, I think that you should pray about not dating anyone or talking to girls alone in any, for six months. Sounded really easy until I started putting it into practice. Because for one thing, they all come out of the woodwork when you decide you don't want to talk about it. Talk to them, right? Ladies, right? Why ain't he talking to me anymore? Anyway. My point is, I needed that, even though it's not wrong. Because what I learned in that is that when I was sad, when I was lonely, right, when I was stressed, when I didn't feel good about myself, I would run, not to God, but to some beautiful woman who would tell me something nice. Because, ladies, you're much nicer than our guy friends. If I tell my guy friend I'm sad, he will go, the frick, dude, suck it up, Right? And if I tell you, even if you don't like me, most of the time you're going to go, I'm sorry. And that's all I need, right? But what God wanted me to do was to say, Todd, you want to turn away from something good, right? Because I have better for you. But the only way you'll truly appreciate how good it is is if you understand it can't save you. That's, that's very deep and true what I just said. You sometimes can't enjoy good things until you recognize what they really are, that they cannot save you. You mean my eternity? Yep. But I mean everything else. Your loneliness, your lust, your anger, your hate, your envy, it can't cure those. It's a Band-Aid, right, over a shotgun wound. It'll stop it for a minute, but the blood eventually, right, the stuff's going to come out. But sometimes he won't give it to you. Right? Football for me, the, to this day, I'm like, man, if you had just let me play in the NFL, I'm telling you, that is good. And I would have done very good things with the money. And I'm telling you, I would be lying to say, I don't know why God didn't let me do that. Because I 100% would have generously given to all of you. That's what I think. But would I have been here? Right? I don't know. Stupid, I know, but it's true. Sometimes, you're right. Or being a teacher, like, I'd be liked a lot more. <laughs> and then listen to this, Matthew 7, 13 through 20. Famous, famous section. He's talking to a bunch of people that are following him. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. There are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road. How narrow is the gate Everybody remembers that part. They never quote the second part. How difficult the road that leads to life. And few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. They come with a message that says, hey, God's okay with you just doing what you want as long as you say his name. It's okay. There's, I'll tell you what you want to hear because God's love, and that's what love is. Love is making you happy. And everyone goes, I wouldn't like that. Yeah, you do. Why would I like that? Someone tells me I'm awesome all the time? Yeah, sign me up. Be on your guard, right? 16, here we go. And then if it's true of false prophets, it's true of us. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. 
And neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. It might look good on the outside, but it's rotting on the inside. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire so you recognize them by the fruit. You know what's beautiful about that? Here's some encouragement before I get to the real encouragement. Some of y'all apples look really small. right? And they maybe got that little weird brown spot on the top. But you know what? It tastes good on the inside. The world may look at it and say, that's not a good apple because it doesn't look as good as this big shiny one that's filled with rot and worms. But God recognizes it for what it is. Don't get caught up in the mistakes you've made, right, in your past and the things that make your fruit not look as appealing. It doesn't matter the look. It's the taste. It's the quality. And that's proven, right, when someone takes a bite, right? You find out who's truly generous and loving when it has a cost, right? It's not just the guy that chucks $100 out, you know, when he feels like it. You understand that? You understand what I'm saying? I know sometimes I say things and I assume everyone understands and they don't. You get you with me? Give me a nod. I'm not looking at the people saying no. Anyway, <clears throat> how do you do that? You're called to be a lion in the midst of this? Is anybody in the room, and I'm going to ask, does, it, does this scare anybody? Because it scares me. Cool, the rest of you are either really brave or you don't want to raise your hand or you're fibbing. It's scary. It's scary because... I don't, I'm telling you, when I'm in my car alone and I remember that God's told me there's a cost and that it doesn't stop and that every day I have to pick this up, that every day there's going to be someone or something that looks at me and judges what I do and says, "Mm -mm -mm, it's not the right way. Sometimes even people in the same crowd that are following him. There's goats in the sheep. There's tares in the wheat. There's bad fish with the good fish, and there's going to be some that fool all of us. It's scary. So I'm telling you, you got to be a lion, bold as a lion all the time. Now you understand when he says the righteous will be as bold as a lion. Are you as bold as a lion? Are you as bold as a lion? You're like, well, I am, you know, 40% of the time. But what's the expectation? And I'm there with you. This part I can say. You know, people sometimes say, like, Todd, you're really bold. You know? And I, I, I promise you I say this and I mean it. I'm, I, am, I don't want to cry at the times. I'm not. That I cave even in my heart because I don't want to pay the cost all the time. I don't want to be disliked. You think that's fun? I just, the anger just helps me feel better about it. I don't like to be disliked and hated. But no matter, even if I was perfect, there would be people that would hate me. And it's hard to remember that, isn't it? And some of you are like, that's what you do. See, you justify because you say, Todd, it's already hard enough. You know, my Aunt Edna hates me because I'm a Christian, so I don't want my boyfriend to leave me. What's going to happen when I'm all alone? And that right there is you've believed the lie. Right there in that moment when you cave, you've become a lamb to the world. How can we be lions in a world like this? What do we do, Jesus? So you just tell us everything sucks all the time? Right? That's what it feels like. There's two different messages. You have to pick one. Either you remind everyone that everything sucks all the time, and some of you live in this Christianity. Christianity is about being miserable all the time, and I, yeah, I'm going to follow him because he's God. I can fall into this sometimes, but it's always sad, it always hurts, and it's never fun or good. And then some of you are like, yeah, everything's a party. I just do what I want and come to church. It's all good. Neither one's true. Because both are being lambs. So how do I choose to be a lion? How do you act like a lion in those moments? How do you remember when your son or daughter's sitting there and you've got to go, Ugh! or when your husband says, don't go to church, and you're like, well, he's going to be upset at me if I don't, and, you know, God wants me to be happy, or your wife, you know, is, or maybe it's the opposite sometimes. What does it look like to be submissive? Where's the line? All of these things that make it hard, there's a reason that no one does it, because it's difficult. And if you focus on how hard it is, you're not going to be able to do it. Remember, I told you earlier to remember a phrase that God said to Elijah. So how do we know? 
What do we do? I'm going to tell you something. Go, we're going to go back to 1 Kings 19. We're going to go right after when Elijah told him, you know, I'm scared, blah, blah, blah. Here, starting in verse 11, this is what he said right after. Then he said, go out and stand. So he's afraid, right? I'm scared. Then he says, does he say don't be afraid? No, he doesn't say that this time. He says it all the time. He doesn't say it this time. But he does. Then he said, go out on the mountain, the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Now listen to this. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He starts by saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah tells him. And then God does something incredible. He, said, he shows himself to him. By the way, Elijah didn't listen right away. How do I know that? Because it says he went out after he heard all that nonsense. I know, you're not getting it yet. How beautiful. Why are you here? I'm scared. Then he says, look at me. Now why are you here? Why are you here when I am the God of the earthquake, the God of the wind, the God of the fire? When I am the king of the world, the Lord of glory, when I'm the king of kings, so I'm going to ask again, I'm not going to tell you not to be afraid, but that's really what it is. Why are you afraid? Whose side are you on? If I'm behind you, who can stand against you? You get it? How, how cool is that? Why are you here? I'm scared. Why are you here again? We have to look at God, and it has to be more than just, you have to remember who he is. You have to remember the promises and stay with me. What are the promises? Jesus, I could give you a thousand verses, but this one's good. John 14, 27, how do you be a lion? John 14, starting verse 27. Jesus says, as he's getting ready to leave, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Whoa, what do you mean? I thought peace is peace. Now listen, I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. That's the key. The key to being a lion is right here. You have heard me tell you I'm going away and I'm coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I have told you before, now I'm told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. I will not talk with you much longer because the, ru the ruler of the world is coming. Right, there's a but here, a nonsense. He has no power over me. On the contrary, so the world may know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded me. You want to be a lion? You got to stop worrying about everything around you, and you got to remember who he is, who you are, and whose side you're on. He is the God of Abraham and Jacob and Moses, right? He is the God of Peter and Paul. He is the God of Samson, right? He is the God of Elijah. Listen to me. It's the same God. He is the Lion of Judah. When he comes back, he's not the Lamb anymore. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And every knee will bow at just the look at him. And that is your God. That is your King. That is the person telling you to be bold as a lion. Not because you're always perfect or bold. And not because the world isn't hard. But because he's already overcome it. He's standing behind you. And it doesn't matter what's in front of you. Right? It reminds me of Lion King. Do you remember the part where he's like, Rawr! and they all run, and he's like, man, I'm bad. And looking behind him, right, is dad, the big boy lion, the king. That's you. But Todd, what about when I'm lonely? What about, you know, this, this person's a warm body, and they say they like me, and no good Christian man will like me, or no good Christian girl will look at me. Well, okay then. Then you cave in fear. Because the king told you, I will take care of you. I'm not going to give you peace the way that you may want it, the way the world does, which is temporary. I have a different kind of peace. Will you trust me when it's scary? Will you trust me when there doesn't look like there's a way out? When you trust me when there's an earthquake and a fire? Will you trust me in the midst of, of sickness? Will you trust me in the midst of death? Will you trust me that I'm going to keep my promise? How do I know, Lord? Because I've done it over and over and over again. 
You have got to come to the place where you can recognize that you're afraid. That's why you run from church every other week. That's why you run to a warm body, because you aren't willing to wait on the Lord. That's why you don't give money. That's why you go when you feel like it. You have become a coddled child. But not to God. To this world that wants you to be weak and fearful and afraid to trust in yourself. Because see what happens if you trust in yourself and inevitably your God, you, is going to fall. And then you can be hopeless. And if you're hopeless, you'll be depressed. And if you're depressed and focused on your circumstances, you'll never look up at the cross. That's what it's all about. The lie is the same lie. The lie you're believing is the same lie that Eve believed. And Adam, did he really say that? You want to be a lion? Stop listening to the junk. Stop lying to yourself and look at the Lord. If he can raise a man from the dead and you say you believe that, he can't bring you a spouse? He can't bring you a spouse? So you're going to be bitter and angry? You're going to cave? Your day's rough while there's some Christian getting beheaded over in the Middle East? But how dare church go a little long? We got to wake up to reality. As Christians, we're called to be lions and we're called to be lambs. You see, the lamb, right, the lamb of God, when he calls us sheep, what, what do I mean by that? Well, see, that's the beauty. We trust in the Lord. He's told us that, listen, even if there's a hundred of you, one of you wanders away, I'm going to come get you. Right? He says in the same section here, if you continue on, he says, this is the section where he says, I'll never let go of one of these you've given to me. I'll never let go of you. Hey, there's going to be hard times, right? There's going to be trials and tribulations, but don't worry. I've already beat it. Hey, I'm going ahead of you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He says that in the section right before this. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. In fact, it's the opposite. I'm going to go get the place ready for you, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you there, right? And in the meantime, I'm not even going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you something that all of your prophets and all of your people long to have. I will give you constant, eternal, never-ending relationship and connection with me through the Holy Spirit. You don't need to go to a temple. I will make you the temple. You don't have to come to my presence. You don't have to be washed all the time with these rituals to talk to me. I will talk to you anytime, anywhere, any moment, any way. You have access to me all the time. I'm here. And I'm not going to be sometimes in the earthquake. And I'm not always going to be in the giving you $1,000 when you need it. And I'm not going to be there and giving you the perfect spouse right away. Sometimes I'm going to be in what? The soft whisper. Why are you waiting? What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Christian? Why are you hiding? Why are you so mad? Why are you so sad? Why have you lost all hope? Why are you so focused on the brokenness of this world? I know it's hard. Come to me, and I will give you, right, rest. And some of you in this room, that sounds corny if you don't have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you this right now. I've experienced it in the, in the true release, and I'm not there right now. I'm not going to lie to you. There was a time in my life when I literally said, what are you going to do, kill me? Right? That's all that was left, and I was okay with that. And I'm not okay with that, right? But I was then, and it's so crazy. In that moment, instead of living in fear, I had peace because I let go of trying to keep a hold of all of this sand on my own. It's real, right? If you were close to me, what's my favorite phrase? It's all real. And it's so simple, but it's so true. And we forget so easily because why? All the scary stuff. Lord, no one's turning to you anymore. Lord, no one's living like this. Lord, everyone's diluted your truth a little bit. So too at the present time there is a remnant. We're lambs, and the great shepherd will always take care of the lambs. 
right. So you put your need on him so that when you don't need the world, you're free to be what? A lion. But here's this terrifying thing. Some of you have chosen to be a lamb to the world. And what does that mean? You lay down. God wants me to be a peacemaker. No, he wants you to be a truth teller. And you lay down to the world, and they pet you sometimes, don't they? And they make you feel good. And you're not lonely sometimes, and sometimes it's distracting, and guess what? Sometimes it's fun, and sometimes they even give you something to eat. But that's where the phrase, fatten the lamb for the what? For the slaughter. And so you've laid down to the world, and what you're doing is you're roaring at God saying, I will not listen to you. I will be a lion to you, which is a joke. You'll roar with your hate and your excuses. And that's why they killed the messengers. They can't kill God, so they killed the prophets. And sometimes, listen, I give you a lot of reasons to hate me. Real life, real true. But some of you all in this room, the reason you don't like me has nothing to do with me, which there's plenty of reasons, as I said. You just don't like the truth. And that's fine. You can hate me and you can run off somewhere else, but the truth is it doesn't change the truth. Do you get what I'm saying now? Lions and lambs? To be as courageous as a lion. Put that up again, please. Proverbs 28.1. He's got to find it. It's at the beginning. There we go. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing him. See, they're lions. Until things get hard. Ahab was a tough guy until fire came from heaven. Then he runs to his wife and goes, save me. But the righteous are as bold as a lion because they know whose they are and who they are. To be the lion, and this is some of you in the room, you first have to come to recognize that you are a lamb to God. You are helpless, right? You're weak, and you need him. Some of you are going to listen to me, and you're going to walk out, and you're going to do the same thing, and you're going to leave church again for six, seven months, then you're going to come back, and then when you find another Savior, you're going to, right, you'll leave again, and when that Savior crashes, you'll come back, and you'll say, this time it'll be different, God, because the truth is you don't really want God, you just want the bread. Lions and lambs. Courage, dear heart. Be a lion because of the lion of Judah, because of who's behind you. Don't worry about what's in front of you. She's going to come play some music, and you're going to have an opportunity. I don't mean, I hope you listen. And if some of you all are like, hey, I can't wait till this is over, good. Just listen to this part, because I may never talk to you again. And even if you, again, don't like me, it doesn't change what I'm saying. It doesn't change the truth. Believers, in it, are you willing to be brave in the face of this world? I'm going to say it. You're, you're, yeah, yeah, I am. Are you? It's easy when you're surrounded by saints to say you're going to be brave. What happens when you're surrounded by wolves? What happens when it will cost you? What happens when you say, I don't know what's going to happen to my child if I do what you're asking me to do, God. I don't like that. Not really worried about your kid. You're worried about you and how you feel. Are you willing to be brave in the face of this world? That's this question. Have you been living, honestly ask yourself, have you been living like a lion to this world, to the world? It's easy to roar in here. A lot of lions in the church walls. They know, right? 
Do you trust the Father to take care of you like a shepherd does a lamb? Really? Or is it half and half? There is no lamb lion. A lion lamb, right? There's no half and half. I kind of am a lamb to you, Lord. Or have you been living like a lamb to the world and a lion to God? What will you do in a world that is against God? Listen, even if you're in the room and you're not a Christian, let me ask you a question. How come no one can say anything about a prophet of another religion? You know what I'm talking about. No one can say a single bad thing about them. Right? South Park can't make a cartoon about them. Right? Untouchable. But Jesus, oh, he's bad. I hate that guy. Why is that? If you're an intelligent person, right, in the room, and you are, that alone should make you go, something's up. I'm not allowed to hate any other religion except Jesus. There's some birds chirping. And <laughs> Are you, have you been living like a lamb to the world lion? Will you, what will you do in a world that's against your Lord? He's against them. There's going to be times that you have to stand up to the crowd. And we're coming, guys, in, in this world today, and that's the reason I brought it up, and I forgot, like our country today, it's, it, they don't hide it anymore. It's not hidden whose side they're on. And there is truth to it. What was it? Was that the Grammys? What was that recently? You know what I'm talking about, you people, right? What was that thing that came out where, where the satanic stuff? No, no one's going to act like you watched that. Y'all liars. Yeah, you did. Is it the Grammys? Answer the question. Okay, great. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> All right. They don't hide it anymore. Because that's how confident they are that you're just a cowardly lamb. You'll just lay there and let them do it. What will you do in a world that's against your Lord? What will you do? Because it's going to get worse before it gets better. I ask myself this all the time. It scares me. And that's why I push so hard against the kids. They're just kids, Todd. No, they're not. You need to know now. Are you going to, what will you do in a world that is against your Lord? Will you cave by hiding in a cave? Or will you be a remnant chosen by grace? You wear the bands, but do you live the life? And if you're in the room, if, you're, if not, in this opportunity, and I'm going to say this to some of you, every week God calls some of you to come to this altar. That's a fact. It's not popular to say this. And I know what you're going to say. I used to say it too. I don't have to do anything. I can be right here. God's right here in my chair. He don't need me. But he told you to go up. You're right, he's in the chair. And you don't because your pride. Roar, right, to, to God. I don't need to do that. If you've been that, if you've been the lamb, right, to the world, you haven't been the lion, you haven't been courageous, repent. Turn away from it and say, God, I'm done and I will live your life. If you've been chasing after things and relying on the false saviors that look good, repent. It does have a cost. You might be lonely for a while, but it will be better, and you know it in your heart. Quit settling for false messiahs. If you're in the room, maybe you just the other person. You said, no, I mean, I'm pretty brave, but deep down I don't really trust God to take care of me like a shepherd takes care of a lamb. Then let, let that sink in what he said to you. I've left you peace. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm coming back. I see you. I love you. Why are you hiding? You can't out my grace. You can't go too far that I can't come and get you. I will leave the hundred to come find you. You're that important to me. That's the beauty of grace. Is sometimes we're silly lambs. We're going to wander off. And he will come and get us. That's okay. And then when you come back, there's these wolves that are in the, in the sheep. And they're going, you're not really a lamb. Because you wandered away. You're not really a lamb, right? And you want to sit there and shame and, and let them tear you down and let them make you lay down, right? And it's hard to tell because they're these, they got 
They got sheepskin on. But you know, you know the truth. Grace saved you. And it doesn't stop saving you because you wander away. If you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, and you are a lamb heading to the slaughter. I don't care how old you are, and I get it. Some of you all have had hard lives, lives that I can't even fathom, and you're going, if God was really there, why'd he let this happen to me? Here's the truth. The very fact that you're here today breathing with this opportunity is proof that he loves you, that in the midst, right, of the storm, in the midst of the scary stuff, he kept you alive. He saved you. He brought you to this moment. Why? Because even when you forget how valuable you are, he hasn't forgotten it. Even when the world says, I don't want you around us anymore, you're, you've gone too far, you're not good enough. If you're in the room today hearing this, take this as God himself saying, I see you, you're valuable, I love you, and I don't care what they say. The gospel is pretty simple. God made everything perfect. He made us to live in it. And he said, you get to rule this in my name, and we're going to be in a relationship, and life's going to be great. There's one rule. I'm God. You're not. I'll tell you what right and wrong is, and we disobeyed that. And because of that, the branch was snapped off the tree, and like a branch off a tree, we're dying. Well, I still feel okay. Yeah, a branch looks good for a few days, right? The next month, halfway through the years, when you start to see it wilt, and you know it's true. Why does the world work so hard to tell you Jesus isn't who he said he was? Because they don't want you to know the truth. So we've been separated from God for thousands of years. So some of you in the room are like, yeah, but I'm a really bad person. We're all bad. We're all separated from him. And I'm sorry there's a bunch of self-righteous Christians who told you that you're too bad for the king to save. That's a lie. They don't realize who they are. And so here's the truth. The Bible says all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They've done bad things, but also inside you have something that can't be fixed. That's why laws and rules don't fix it all. And so even the people that look good on the outside, they still got that evil heart, right? You know some of them. And the fact is... We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible says something really scary. The wages of sin are death. We've earned it. We're going to die. Hell is real. And when it's that moment comes, when you've taken your last breath, you have an opportunity now that you won't get then. Now's the chance. So, Todd, what's the good news? Here's the good news. Is that in the midst of our sin, the Bible says God is reaching his hand down right now to you and saying, I'll pull you out. Well, how do we do that, right? I can't can't fix myself. When we couldn't fix ourselves, God decided to give us a way and do it for us. Jesus of Nazareth existed. Jesus Christ, he came down on earth. He lived like a man. He taught us about the kingdom. He showed us who God really was. And then he died on the cross for all the bad things you've ever done so that you never have to sit under the punishment of that. And he not only does that, but he gives you the benefit of his perfect life. You get to be treated like you were Jesus forever by God the Father. He looks at you, well, I did this, I did that. He doesn't see that. He sees the good, obedient son he's da or daughter. He sees who you are really. So how do I have that? How do I be, get forgiven? Very simple. i got to clean it all up first. No. you got to confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was Lord and was raised from the dead. You repent. You turn away from what the world's telling you to do. You say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. And in that moment, the Bible says if you do that, you're saved. No one can ever take it from you. You're going to have an opportunity to do that. There's going to be people up here in the dark. It's going to be weird, and they're ready to pray with you, and they're ready to lead you, and then I was you. I sat in the crowd. Somebody told me to go behind a creepy door, right? I'm not even telling you to go behind a creepy door. Just come up here to the front. Let them pray with you and walk out of here knowing you're saved, and not only that, he will begin to transform you. He will change you. He will make you into everything that you never knew you could be. Whatever you do today, don't leave the same as you came in. I get it. It's 1240. I'm sorry. Taco Bell still be there. Make this time count. Whatever you do, don't leave the same as you came in, because if you do, you're choosing to.